All right, take me through what this foundation is. First veterinarian that ever was named uh, president. Tell me about it. So the AO Foundation was founded 65 years ago by a group of Swiss orthopedic surgeons based out of Davos, Switzerland. And mm-hmm. in that era, they were treating ski injuries. People were being treated with a cast and traction, and they said there's got to be a better way to repair fractures. So they're basically the group that invented all the ways that we repair fractures today with plates and screws and rods and those kinds of things. So basically 65 years ago, 1958, they started this entity called the AO Foundation, and now it's the world's largest orthopedic foundation. We have 20,000 members, of which only 1,300 are veterinarians. All the rest are human, trauma surgeons, spine surgeons, craniomaxillofacial surgeons, reconstructive surgeons, and we teach around 80,000 people a year in courses all over the world. Really? No. so that's got to be an interesting collaboration. I think the average listener, Mark, is going to say, wait a minute, doctors and veterinarians? I think they forget how similar the training is. Very similar. And, you know, my, the story I like to tell is, for those that don't know, after I finished my residency in equine mm-hmm. surgery, I went to the Mayo Clinic in the Department of Orthopedics, and I was the only veterinarian kind of interacting with the human orthopedic surgeons that were in that department. That's where I got my PhD in orthopedic biomechanics. So literally throughout my career, I've collaborated, I've been a member of the Department of Orthopedics here at the medical school this whole time. And we do a lot of collaborative things. Basically, if you think about it, a bone's a bone, whether it's in a dog or a horse or a human. Cartilage is the same in all those species. Uh, Tendons and ligaments are. And, you know, my career has been focused on trying to regenerate bone, regenerate cartilage. And, you know, we use animals as models, but at the same time, they're equally applicable for humans. Now, this new opportunity, how rigorous is this leadership role? What kinds of things do you have to be prepared to handle? So I'll be president-elect for two years, starting this past June, and then president for two years, then past president for two years. So a six-year mm-hmm. obligation. Uh, I'd say over the next couple of years, we're going to be traveling five to seven time- places a year. Uh, after that, you actually are traveling five to seven months a year of international travel. Basically, any of the orthopedic meetings that we offer, any of the educational meetings we offer in any of the specialties, any of the regions of the world – the president is expected to be at a lot of those, yeah. give a plenary talk about the future of orthopedics, and, and really what the organization is all about is enhancing patient care and outcomes, and that's whether it's a human patient or an animal patient. Is this Was this on your bucket list? Are you overwhelmed by this? Uh, did it seem imminent? You know, Some people that have been in an organization for a while, you start getting that feel that you're on track. Rarely am I overwhelmed. I'll, I'll start with that as the answer to that part of the question. But I will say uh, no veterinarians ever led the organization. Uh, it's voted on by the members of which, as I said earlier, yeah. around 93% are human orthopedic surgeons. So there are certainly groups of people that were um, not certain that a veterinarian should lead this human-focused primarily mm-hmm. organization at the same time. I took my first course with the AO 39 years ago, and I've been in leadership positions throughout it, moving up in leadership positions for the last mm-hmm. 20 years. So uh, there had been a couple of veterinarians over the years that had tried, had run for president-elect and did not get it. And so it certainly was not a certainty that I was going to get it when I ran, but um, I'd say I was cautiously optimistic, and it worked out. Talk about cautiously optimistic. So you are beginning a new opportunity there, and yet now you're stepping away from your position as dean of the UW School of Veterinary Medicine at a 
very interesting time for a lot of observers. The new uh, addition to the vet school and the remodel that will undergo current is coming towards the end here. This might be a time when many people say, Mark, hey, what, what are you doing? Now you're, you're ready to go into your glory here. Uh, I'm basically handing this brand new building to a brand new dean. So it's a great opportunity for, for new leadership to really take advantage of the infrastructure that we're building. As, as For those that don't know in the audience, this is going to uh, basically double the size of the footprint of the School of Veterinary Medicine. It's going to add a large ML arena. It's going to add a new large ML isolation facility. We already have one, but it's going to improve it. Um, it's literally going to double the size of our hospital enhance our teaching and research spaces. So I think it's actually a perfect time to hand the reins over to new leadership. And I, and I think it'll be 12 years by the time I step down. That's a reasonable amount of time to be leading an organization like this. So obviously you mentioned the international responsibilities with the AO Foundation. Tell me more on what Mark has on the horizon. You will remain on the UW-Madison campus. You will remain within the School of Veterinary Medicine. So sometime next summer, we expect a new dean will start, so hopefully be named this coming spring. Whenever that person starts, I'll step down. Uh, I still plan, I have right now and have for the last 33 years, a comparative orthopedic research laboratory, primarily focused, as I said earlier, on musculoskeletal regeneration, bone, cartilage, tendon, ligaments, things like that. I'll continue to do that as I come back into the faculty. Uh, I'll still do, you know, serve kind of in an orthopedic leadership position campus-wide, not with campus, but na internationally with the AO Foundation. So what we call it here at UW is the Wisconsin idea, where you take ideas that are spawned out of uh, UW-Madison and expand them to the boundaries of the state, if not the boundaries of the world. And I like to say that's what we're going to be doing with orthopedics uh, here at UW. Well, let's, let's talk about what you've seen in your duration as dean. And like we said, he's still here. He'll be here through uh, next spring into the summer. When you took this role on, you had already been faculty staff here. Tell me a little bit about what your expectations were when you stepped into the dean's position and then how things have changed. You lived through history and kept this afloat during the pandemic. So a lot of things changed. I started in 2012, September 1st. And so 11 years later, just a quick synopsis, we've increased our class size by 20%. We've increased our faculty numbers by 25% in order to teach that increased class size. In order, and also, our hospital admissions has grown from about 20,000 to over 30,000 a year patients that we see, and we need to accommodate that increase. Uh, we've tripled our research uh, expenditures, meaning the research awards that we get annually. Uh, we've actually doubled the entire budget of the school from around $50 million to over $100 million today. And I think importantly, because we're here to train veterinarians, when I started in 2012, we were just coming out of the quote-unquote Great Recession. And at, in that era, uh, I'd say only a third of our students, when they graduated, had jobs lined up, although by that mm -hmm. September, they all had jobs. But it was a much more challenging time frame. I think a lot of people elected not to retire because the retirement accounts had gone down. Now, today, the average student here has three to five job offers um, by the beginning or middle of their fourth year. Many of them are getting job offers now in their third year, a year and a half before they graduate. Um, salaries, because of that increased demand and, work, I'd say, workforce shortage, meaning there's not enough veterinarians out there, um, have increased by over 50% in the last five years. So, I mean, that's really good for our students. 
Um, concomitant with that is there has been increased tuition na- nationally. Mm-hmm. That's true of all of higher education. So, you know, we used to have the lowest tuition in the country. We now are right at the middle, meeting the median mm-hmm. of, of our peers in the country. Um, we still have less debt load. Our students have less debt load than the average debt load in the country. We used to have the least debt load in the country. That's no longer true. Um, but at the same time, um, given that increased opportunities for our students, yeah. a lot of the jobs are getting offered. They get signing bonuses. Mm-hmm. Some of the corporates that are hiring are offering uh opportunities for them to pay off their debt load over time if they stay there for right. a period of time. Yeah. So they have lots of opportunities. Well, and what you're not mentioning is in your time here, the status, the rankings of the UW Vet School have escalated right along with that interest. I, I wouldn't be shy about pointing that out, Mark. I'm rarely shy, Pam. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we, you, you know, we were typically ranked around 10 in the country. We're now ranked seven in the country. We're ranked number 15 of all veterinary schools in the world. And so it's something certainly to be proud of, certainly not something to rest your laurels on, yeah. but something to stay focused on, not just to focus on whether you're ranked well, but that you're doing an excellent job of educating your students and advancing the state of the art of veterinary medicine with the research that we conduct. And those will naturally then lead to being ranked highly. If you're just joining us, Dr. Mark Markell, he is the dean of the school, UW School of Veterinary Medicine, uh, accepting a new opportunity in leadership with the AO Foundation, and also announcing that he'll be stepping away as dean, effective sometime in 2024. Not leaving, though, again, back to your curriculum and that uh, rankings matter, but curriculum matters more. You're also undertaking a fairly hard to comprehend, Mark, reevaluation of curriculum. What inspired it? And help as best you can the general public understand what's going on now. So it's probably the biggest lift other than going through the pandemic and managing those principally two years of doing that. But, you know, nationally and internationally, we've started to look more at, and this is true in the human medical field too, as well as the veterinary medical field, how do we train students to become outstanding veterinarians? And we began, rather than saying you need to know this piece of knowledge or that piece of knowledge, it's more what are the competencies that we want a day one graduate to have? And let's create a curriculum that creates those competencies, makes sure that our students have the, the skill sets they need to be exceptional veterinarians when they step out and practice. Very different than the human medical world. The day you graduate as a veterinarian from veterinary medical school, you can become a veterinarian in practice. In medicine, yeah. you need to do a typically a three- to five- or six-year residency to be able to do that. So we need to make sure with our educational system that that happens. And so a system called competency-based competency-based veterinary education was created, CBVE. And so we began looking at how should we create a curriculum that does that. And as you might imagine, we created our curriculum. We were founded almost 40 years ago. And it's the classic. You sit in a lecture for 50 minutes. You get a 10-minute break till the next lecture for 50 minutes. You do a three-hour laboratory. And even though we've modified that some over the last 40 years, it is still pretty much like it was 40 years ago. And actually, if you think about it, it's pretty much like it was 100 years ago. And so now what we're looking at, and a lot of this technology is just being developed and has been developed over the last, let's say, 10 years and significantly developed during the pandemic, is we have the ability to obviously lecture capture, meaning record our lectures. We have the ability to put them online. We have the ability to put 
all of our materials online. Um, we have the ability to do uh, lots of hands-on learning opportunities. So what we're doing with this new curricular redesign is really focusing on systems. So we're going to teach people about, you know, whether it's the musculoskeletal system, meaning your bones and tendons and ligaments and muscles, whether it's your cardiovascular and your respiratory system, whether it's your gastrointestinal system, whether it's your neurologic system. And we're going to teach in systems, but then really integrate them across all the different things you need to know. And, and at least what the literature tells us and what other veterinary medical schools who have already implemented this show is that they st- these students are much better prepared when they graduate. So we've been talking about it significantly now for three years. We believe in the next three to six months we'll have the finalized version of the new curriculum. We'll vote on it this coming spring, and we'll implement it with the class of 2029. So that'll be the fall of 2025. How's the reaction been? It's an uphill climb. I mean, if you think about it, even if everybody agrees that it's the a better way to teach, and that's not necessarily true, but the majority of people certainly do. It's a lot of work. You're still actively teaching today. Yeah. You're still doing the research or you're working in the clinic and doing all the things you'd normally do, which is a full-time job. And then we're asking people to also spend the time to create this new curriculum and ultimately then implement it. And so I'd say it's been a challenge, and every veterinary medical school who've done it, yeah. it's a challenge. The only places that haven't had it be a challenge are the brand new ones because sure. they just start with a new curriculum. Um, but for all of us who've had kind of a, a legacy curriculum that we're trying to change, it's always a challenge. But I, I absolutely believe that the overwhelming majority of our faculty, certainly our staff and students as well, want to see this happen. I have a quick story to tell. Louisiana State just implemented a new curriculum, and when they were admitting their last class, they hadn't voted on yet whether they're going to start the new curriculum this past fall or not. And I say about a quarter of the people that were accepted <clears throat> said, "We're not going to accept until we know whether or not you're going to do the new curriculum. If you're not going to do the new curriculum, we're not coming." Mm-hmm. So ultimately, they decided to. Well, they were going to do it anyway, but they yeah. they said yes, we're doing the new curriculum. All those people came and they started the new curriculum this last fall. So the students see it too. They they will vote with their feet if we don't do this. Well, there we go. More to come, as always, at the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Mark Markell, we wish him the best as the new leader of the AO Foundation, and we will still see him around campus as dean and then as faculty in 2024. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yonke.